Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. We all know the story of the Exodus and the story of Moses. And Exodus chapter 3 is really the burning bush. Now, it's very interesting to me. This chapter is going to clarify, I believe, a lot of things about God. Now, we know that God is made up of what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we're going to get a really cool glimpse of God. And in verse 14, why don't you skip down to it? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Any other translations for that? Anyone have the Septuagint with them? <laughs> the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. And it was done, like started 280 B.C. or way back by 70 Jewish scholars. And the Septuagint version reads this. I am being the being. <laughs> because the whole idea of I am, literally in the Hebrew, it means being. And it's imperfect tense, so it's, it's not just I was or I am, but I am becoming. Have you ever heard that? So this could really be translated, I am the, the becoming one. Now, which member of the Trinity do you think that would be talking about? Jesus Christ, right? So literally, we're going to find that Christ says, hey, my name is I am that I am. Verse 15, we're going to find God. The Father says, my name is Yahweh. So the Father is Yahweh. Jesus Christ is, hey, I'm the becoming one. And we're going to get into that a little deep as we get into the text. But verse 1, now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro. Jethro, isn't that a cool name? Yes. I, do people still use that name today? Oh, yeah, sure they do. His father-in-law and priest of Midian. And we know during this time they had family priests. Uh, more than likely Jethro wasn't worshiping the one true God, but he could be because he's a Midianite, one of the descendants of Abraham from an, uh, another line. So it's a, a potential. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Remember when we talked about the mountains after the men's retreat? And we talked about all the mountains, significant mountains in the Bible. We never talked about Horeb. Why is that? Because that mountain is actually called Sinai. So literally what he's saying here is, and we came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Now, why is Sinai called the mountain of God? That's where God met with Moses. Literally, we, we go through all this time, and he created a covenant between man and God, the old covenant, the law. And so this is where God said, I want to know you again. After the fall, God would speak to various people here and there, but he hadn't made a covenant relationship, a true covenant relationship, until with Moses on Mount Sinai. So it's called the mountain of God. Remember Moses, when he came down off the mountain, he was glowing, had to wear a veil. And then potentially he wore the veil so people wouldn't notice that his glow went away. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm no longer glowing, but I got the veil on. I might be, you know, you never know. 
verse 2. And the angel of the Lord, by the way, the word Lord there is all capitals in your Bible, is it not? Okay, what does that mean? That is the tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H. No one knows the pronunciation of this name. More than likely, though, we call him Yahweh. There's no W sound in the Hebrew. By the way, some scholars question that because in um, Arabic, there is a W sound, Wa, uh, or letter, uh, like a Wa. So some actually believe that Hebrew had a W sound where it would be Yahweh. Now, I want you to notice one thing at the end of verse 3. The mountain of God, the word for God there is Elohim. What does Elohim mean? Literally, God. Literally, it is a singular plurality. And Elohim, at the end of verse 1, literally, when it's mentioned in in the Bible, and that's why you really need to kind of look it up, but I got to tell you this, in your Old Testament, every time the word God is used, G-O-D, it's Elohim. And Elohim means all three members of the Trinity acting in concert, or it can be either one of the members acting alone, and they'll still call him God, because why? They're all God. Does that make sense? So the word is Elohim. The angel of the Lord, Lord there, is Yahweh. Now, who is the angel of the Lord? Who remembers that study we did? Christophany, it's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Let's establish that. Go to Genesis chapter 16, starting at verse 7. And we're going to find a a famous person here, Sammy Hagar. Oh, no, it's not Sammy Hagar, (laughs) but it is Hagar. Genesis 16, starting at verse 7, it says this, Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring, of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, what? I will greatly multiply your descendants. Only God can do that. Folks, the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament in almost every case. So remember, we have God, G-O-D, Elohim. That can be all three members working in concert or any one of the members working alone with the other there. We have Yahweh, which is always in your Bible, written L-O-R-D, all capitals. And it might be capital L and then capital little capital O-R-D. You know, they make it or it might be all capitals across. That's Yahweh. That's the name of the Father. Very interesting. And here we have the angel of Yahweh, the messenger of Yahweh, who is the, what is Jesus Christ. So the angel of the Lord said to Hagar, I will greatly multiply your descendants. Well, an angel could not do that. Only God can do that. Continue on. So they will be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you will call his name Ishmael. And that means what, Ishmael? God hears. Because the Lord is given. And who's the Lord there? All capitals. God the Father. 
Okay, so Jesus, the angel of the Lord, is speaking. I'm going to greatly multiply your descendants. Hey, you're going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Ishmael because my father, God the Father, has he given heed to your affliction. Isn't that interesting? Skip down to verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord, God the Father, who spoke to her. You are a God who sees, and that's Elohim, all three, because all three are represented here. For she said, have I even remained alive after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called Beer Lehi Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Brad. Flip over to Judges chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, came up from Gilgah to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Okay, now we know that when you read it in context, who, who brought him out of the land of Egypt? God did. Elohim. But here the angel of the Lord says, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. Well, all the covenant in the Old Testament to Abraham and uh, uh, Isaac and Jacob were either God the Father or Christ, the angel of the Lord. And I will never break my covenant with you. This is the angel of the Lord. Now, it's not the Lord Yahweh, God the Father. It's God the Father's messenger, because angel means what? Messenger. It's just simply one who sent. In fact, Jesus said in the New Testament, my father sent me, and literally what he's saying, I am his angel. Very interesting. Who did the, the Jews say that this is, the angel of the Lord? They think it's a great angel. And... Uh, they, yeah, it, it's a difficulty for, for Hebrew scholars. Yeah. Even the uh, Messianic prophecies in Isaiah and the Psalms, they justify a misinterpretation of the text. Yeah. Yeah. Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Yes. It's a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Flip over to Zechariah chapter 3, all the way in the back of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. All the way in the back. I'm just trying to get you to flip through your Bibles a lot. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Because I know some of your Bibles, they don't, never get flipped through except at church Sunday mornings. <laughs> we need to be not only people of prayer, but what? People of the book. People that read. Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from a fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel, the angel of the Lord. And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, remove the filthy, filthy garments from him. And again, he said, see, I have taken away what? your iniquity, and will clothe you with festival robes. That's the angel of the Lord speaking. Jesus Christ is the only one that takes away iniquity. Flip back, if you would, 
to Genesis chapter 48, verse 16. It says, the angel has what? Redeemed me from all evil. And we know there's one redeemer, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Flip back to Genesis 31, 11. Don't worry, we're almost done with this little rabbit trail on the angel of the Lord. Genesis 31, 11. Then the angel of God, or angel of the Lord, said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and molted. And I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Now remember, Jacob met the Lord at Bethel. He, he made a sacrifice. So the angel of the Lord almost always is a reference to Jesus Christ. Lord, all capitals, is almost always, and I need to clarify what I meant, almost always referring to God the Father. Does that make sense? And when it says God, just spelled out, it's Elohim, it can be any member of the Trinity, or all three acting in concert. Okay, so back to Exodus, chapter 3, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. That would be quite a sight, wouldn't it? You're, you're out in the wilderness. There's a bush burning with fire, but the bush is not being consumed. Now, some theorize, why did the angel of the Lord and God himself appear in a bush that burned with fire but wasn't consumed? Is it his glory? We know God is light. We know he approaches, uh, dwells in unapproachable light. We know that his chariot, as a chariot described as a chariot of fire, there's something about holiness. We know that our faith is tried by fire, yet we're not consumed. Does that make sense? But we really don't know. Verse 3, so Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord, that's Yahweh, saw that he turned aside to look, Elohim, God, called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come uh, near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Consider that. Now God who dwells in heaven sits on the throne Christ at his right hand from eternity past. You know, Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. They were together for eternity as one. They created all things. They, here they are appearing to Moses, ready to deliver their children, Israel, from Egyptian slavery. And they say this, do not come here, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. You know, I believe that anywhere we bow our heads to pray, we're standing on holy ground. You can be alone in your car praying, and you have entered into the presence of God. Prayer is not a blind soliloquy where you hope that your words somehow make it through space to God. 
Prayer is a dynamic exchange, and when we bow our heads to pray, we are literally standing in the Spirit before a holy and awesome God. Can you picture that? Prayer should be one of the most greatest privileges we have as children of God. It's like we have a direct line to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He cares about me. He hears my prayers. Oh, He understands the temptations and the struggles that I struggle with. He knows. In fact, in Hebrews, we say we don't have a high priest that's unable to really empathize with what you're going through because he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. He knows you. Yes. Face to face. Amen. Amen. Mm. So picture this. Moses sees this bush burning. Moses is 80 years old right now. He spent the first 40 years of his life as a prince in Egypt. He was rich. He had everything he wanted. He was the Pharaoh's daughter's adopted son. He lived in the palace in Egypt. It was grand. It was glorious. He killed a man and fled to Midian. And for 40 years, he lived in Midian as what? We already read it. Jethro's sheep herder. So he was a shepherd for 40 years. And now, after all this time, he is encountering God. Why? Because the 400 years of slavery that God predicted would occur back when he told Abraham about it in Genesis was about to be complete. So God needed a man to rise up to, to lead the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And Moses was that man. More than likely, the whole reason why God allowed Pharaoh to kill the, the sons of the Israelites was so that Pharaoh's daughter would adopt Moses and Moses would learn etiquette and court etiquette so that when he approaches Pharaoh later on, he can approach him in the right manner. Does that make sense? Even the tragedies in your lives, folks, God is preparing all of us for something. We are all called by God. We are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, every one of us in this room. Moses tried to get out of the call, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but let's go on. Yes. Exactly. Often. They learned how to care for a flock. Yes. Amen. Yep. Verse 6. And he said, I am the Elohim of your father, the Elohim, all the Trinity of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then Yahweh said, okay, more than likely the father. Are Are you with me on this? I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, I love to put honey on ice cream, and I think about this verse because ice cream to me is milk. You can tell, uh, you know, I don't drink milk, but I, I get it in my ice cream. It, it, yeah, anyway, 
a land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, verse 9. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel have come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, verse 10, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So this is the call of God on Moses' life. Hey, Moses, come now. And I'm going to use you to deliver my people. You would think Moses is having a supernatural encounter with God here. It's not just like Moses is in his prayer closet and he kind of gets an original thought that might be God. Well, is God really telling me to do this? He's seeing a bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. He knows he's in the presence of God himself. And God says, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. And what does Moses do? (laughs) Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know I would have the courage to look God in the face and say, hey, man, you got the wrong guy. Now, when I was called into ministry, I paced before the throne of God in the spirit and argued with God. I did the same thing. Who am I? And I gave God 10 reasons why I can't be a pastor. There's no way I can be a pastor because of these 10 reasons. All of a sudden, I was back in the service in the spirit. And the guy at the front of the thing says, listen, you're not leaving here. The Holy Spirit is so There's one more person out there that he's calling into full-time ministry. And number one, doesn't matter how you speak, God will speak to you. Because even in class, any of you like this? Like when the teacher calls on you, you start shaking and sweating. I I cannot speak in front of people in my own flesh. It is not a gift that I have. I got to tell you, I was in training um, at the fire department and some sheriffs were there too on critical incident debriefing this past week two days of training and at the beginning they had everyone go around and say what agency they were from what what uh position they held and how many critical incident debriefings they've done and i mean as it got closer to me i literally started sweating i started shaking just just to give my name and to say that i'm a chaplain and and what I do. But when I get here, I got to tell you, I'm sitting there and I'm saying, God, you got the wrong guy. I shouldn't be here. But he always comes through. When God calls you, he will give you supernaturally the ability to do what you cannot do. Yes. And we all have a call. Oh, there's three or four excuses Moses is going to give God. At the end of this chapter, we're going to find out they were just smoke screens. You ever do hear, have someone give you smoke screens? Hey, can you come to my house for dinner? Well, we've got to do this. Okay, the real reason is we just don't want to come over for dinner, right? But they, they come up with these excuses, and, and really God is, uh, Moses is doing that to God. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with you and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain or Mount Sinai. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, Elohim, 
Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? What are the names of God? Let's quickly go over them really quick. We have uh, Yahweh, which is, you know, it, it could be any member. Mainly, it's God the Father, usually in the Old Testament. That's always translated capital L-O-R-D. We have Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Yahweh Rahab, the Lord is my shepherd. And you know all these names for God, right? El Shaddai, El Elom, Kwana, which means jealous, uh, El Kenar, all of those, right? But there's one that doesn't make the list, and you never hear it. And we're about to read it. It's really interesting to me that it never makes the list of God. Yeah, we say, I am, but why don't we use what the English translation of Yahweh is instead of Yahweh, or Elohim instead of, does, does that make sense? So notice this. It gets really interesting. Verse 13. Oh, verse, yeah, at the end, what shall I say to them? What's your name, God? And Elohim said to Moses, Eyah, Asher, Eyah. That's what God responded. Now, if someone asked your name, how would you respond? My name is Brett. Or you could say, I am Brett, right? Here, God says, I am a Yah. That's the Hebrew. I am a Yah. What does Ayah mean? It's imperfect tense. It means I am and I will be. I am the becoming one. Which member of the Trinity do you think this is? We already talked about it. More than likely Jesus Christ, right? Because notice the next verse. Thus you shall say to them, I mean the uh, 14b, uh, to the sons of Israel, I am, Iyah has sent me to you. God, Elohim, furthermore said to Moses, thus you will say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the Yahweh, the Elohim of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations and that's God the Father so we have Yahweh God the Father and Ayah Jesus Christ notice he didn't say Ayah again so why in the world do we have both and how could that be turn who is the one who claims to be I am God the Father or Jesus Christ Jesus Christ turn to John chapter 8 verse 58 And it gets even more interesting when people ask the angel of the Lord what his name was. And we're going to go through a few of those verses. John 8, 50, even start at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, Jesus speaking, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, what? I am, and in the Septuagint, it's the same words, Greek words used here as it is in our text in Exodus 3, 14 and 15. Peter, he 
Exactly. So in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, every Christophany, Jesus never told him his name. Isn't that interesting? In fact, here at the burning bush, he said, I am. I am the becoming one. In Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and yet still he is the one that goes. Go to Judges chapter 13, verse 18. Judges 13, even, yeah, go to verse 18. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is what? Wonderful or literally secret or incomprehensible. Hey, I can't tell you my name yet. This is the angel of the Lord. Why? Because it is a Christophany in the Old Testament and God has a progressive revelation and he doesn't want them to already talk to the Messiah that is yet to come. I am the becoming one. Does that make sense? I am. God the Father is not the becoming one. He's not the I am. He is Yahweh. He is God. Right, exactly. But Christ was. Now, this gets, why, why can't they know his name? Turn to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. Even start at verse, yeah, verse 4. Proverbs 34. Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped the waters in his garments? Or who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his what? Son's name. Hey, we have the Trinity right here in Proverbs. Surely you know, and that is a negative. It means, no, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know his son's name. Yeah, you might know his name. Flip over to Genesis 32, 24. I know, I'm making a flip through your Bibles. It's hot in here. This cools it down a little bit. Genesis 32, 24. Can you tell I get excited about this stuff? Genesis 32. I can't find it. Oh, there it is. Okay, wow. 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man, Christophany, wrestled with him until daybreak. And uh, when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, and the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And this angel of the Lord, this guy he was wrestling with, said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven or wrestled with Elohim, which could be any member of the Trinity. Here it's Christ. And with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. And he wouldn't tell him his name. Hey, I am. I'm the being one. I'm the becoming one. I exist. It's very interesting. So back to our text. We got to hurry because we have five minutes to finish this chapter. Yes, he could. And, and the idea here, it's uh, in the Hebrew, they have perfect and imperfect tense. Perfect is already complete. Imperfect, it's either going to be complete yet future or it is starting right now to be complete. 
not changing form. It, it's it's uh, the idea, and, and it's very complex. I think the Septuagint uh, nails it because the Septuagint, these are Hebrew scholars that translated the old Hebrew Bible, not the Masoretic text that we use here. This is a, a newer text. They had the old original text, and they translated it uh, literally, um, I am the being, and when it says, who shall I say in verse 14 of Exodus 3, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the being, the becoming being has sent you. And, and it's like, I am, be- I, I am self-existent. Does that make sense? They both have the same uh, root verb, which is hayah. And this root verb literally uh, has the idea of always existing. So Yahweh has the idea of always existing. Eternity, yeah. Um, and yeah, but it's not that verb that's used, which is really interesting. So verse 15. Now we already read it, verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Yahweh, the Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I indeed am concerned about you and what uh, has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to what you say, and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, The Lord, Yahweh, the Elohim of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Yahweh, our Elohim. You getting that? Yeah. Verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty handed. For every woman shall ask her neighbor. I like that the ladies do this, you know, like garage sales and, and all of that. They're, they're more tenacious than us guys. You know, we're, we're like, oh, you know, whatever. We can go with nothing. We don't need it. You know, uh, we'll ask our neighbor who lives in our house, articles of silver, articles of gold, clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. And here's Moses' third excuse, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I have to say? Now, what are the excuses so far that Moses is giving God? Go back to verse 11 of chapter 3. Moses said to God, who am I? You ever do that? Hey, Lord, I can't do it. Man, you want me to teach Sunday school? You want me to start a Bible study in my house? You want me to go to men's Bible study or help, help run an event at church? Or, you know, who am I to do that? I, I don't know much. I don't know anything. What's the next ex- excuse Moses gave God? Verse 13 of chapter 3. What will I say to them? Hey, I can't go. I don't even know your name. What am I going to say to him? And what does God say? Hey, I'm going to give you the words to say. And the third one we're in now in chapter 4, 
What if they will not believe me or listen to me? Has that ever prevented you from witnessing to somebody or sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? You're about to do it, and they're, oh, they're, they're, they're not going to believe me. Moses used the same exact excuse that we use. Oh, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to want to hear about this. Chapter 4, verse 1b. For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And here we know what happens. Moses, God tells Moses to throw his staff on the ground. He does, and it becomes a snake. That's going to be a sign for the children of Israel that God sent him. Keep reading. Go down. Verse 6. And the Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom under his uh, robe. And when he took it out, it was leprous. Put your hand back in again, and it was healed. And if they still will not believe uh, the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign, verse 9. But if they will not believe even these two signs or take heed to what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, and the water uh, which you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent neither recently nor in time past nor since. You have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. His third or fourth excuse is, hey, I'm not a good public speaker. What does God say? And the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Yahweh? Now there, now then go, and I, even I, will be your mouth and teach you what to say. And here we find the real reason, verse 13. But Moses said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Get someone else to do it. I'm not the guy. And in a couple of weeks, we'll get into verse 14 where God gets really mad at Moses. Because after all of that, all these excuses, Moses says, oh, I'm not the guy to do it. So the question this morning, as we get ready to close, is what has God called you to do? Might be start a little Bible study with your family. Hey, that's a good thing to do. Might be just share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a neighbor. Might be helping out in the church, coming earlier or staying afterwards to help clean up or set up. Might be teaching Sunday school. Whatever it is, though, God will give you the strength to do whatever he's called you to do. In fact, we're told in Scripture very clearly, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it if we just run to him. Amen? Satisfies my need. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve Him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week.